so I have cheater sheets. Glory to God. Well, it is Wednesday night. Yay. Glory to God. And uh, Jackie called me a couple different times yesterday and today, and every time she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm studying. I'm reading. I'm studying, and I'm reading. I'm studying, and I'm reading. She said, oh. She said, well, okay, we'll keep studying and reading. I said, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm still studying. I'm still reading. I'm still working this thing. Uh, so um, I read the, I read the entire book of Revelations in the last two days, and uh, I read almost the entire book of Daniel, and uh, just trying to just trying to wrap my head around a few things. And by the time I got done, I said, Lord. I'm more confused now than I was before we started. <laughs> I said, this should not be this complicated. And then the Lord dropped a little secret to me that just made it so simple. And I went, oh, duh, <laughs> duh. Like, oh, well, that makes total sense. So I'm going to help you all with the secret too uh, tonight. But first, let's uh, do our confession. And uh, I, I don't have my confession card, so I'm going to rely up here in case I so I don't get myself and y'all out of order. <laughs> and uh, let's do our confession. Remember, our confession doesn't change God. It just helps get the truth of God down into our spirit. So let's do this together. This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the spirit. I am a child of God. God, the mind of Christ, God's thoughts are my thoughts, God's words are my words, God's actions are my actions, I am a doer of the word. Glory to God. Well, let's uh, pray and we'll get into the word tonight. Um, if you've got somebody that needs prayer, uh, just lift them up and we'll stand in agreement with you. Uh, you know, like we gave a quick update on the fires, and but we just got a lot of ground to cover, so I want to get right into the word tonight. So let's pray, Father. We come into you to not we come to you tonight, Father, as the body of Christ assembled, your local church, and Father, we come seeking with an expectation to hear from heaven. Father, we ask for wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. We ask that you give unto every person a spirit of understanding that we may come to know the great and wonderful King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, personally and intimately, our Father in heaven, personally and intimately, that we may know our Comforter, the Holy Ghost, that speaks and leads and guides from the inside personally. And so, Father, as we approach your word humbly, with reverence and respect, we just give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, as I was saying earlier, I've read all of Revelations. Technically, we're going to get to uh, chapter 7 is where we're supposed to get to tonight. Uh, but before we get into the deeper things of Revelation, there's some things that you have to know and understand. 
You have to know and understand. Uh, Miss Brooke, I didn't tell you about this one, but perhaps you can make a slide as we, as I, once I say it, so they can see it. But you need to understand that the, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Uh, the Bible uh, addresses three groups or three classifications of people. Three groups or three classifications of people and only three. The first group that the Bible refers to are those in covenant with God, which are the Jews or slash the Israelites. The Jews or the Israelites, which are those that are in covenant with God through the entire book, through the entire book. The second group is what we refer to as the Gentiles or the heathen, which is a group of people that are outside of the covenant. We often hear in our modern terminology, we hear heathen, and we automatically think of a rank sinner. But biblically, a heathen, uh, especially through the Old Testament, was simply somebody outside of the covenant of God, outside of the covenant. So the Bible talks to those in the covenant, those outside of the covenant, and then he talks to the next group of people, which is the church or the body of Christ, the church. Those are the three groups that the Bible talks to. So we today, um, you might, if, uh, for example, uh, Jackie has, she is of Jewish lineage. Her family is of Jewish uh, um, genealogy is the way we can put it. However, and up until, I guess, was it your, grandma, your, your grandparents or your great-grandparents that were active Jews following the Jewish law? Her grandmother. So up until the point of her grandmother, uh, they actively followed the Jewish law, okay? Uh, however, Jackie doesn't follow that Jewish law, uh, never has. She was taught some things about it but wasn't raised under the Jewish law. So therefore, though she's of the lineage of the Jews, she would actually fall under the category of the Gentile or the heathen. You understand what I'm saying? Um, then there's those that are not of Jewish lineage, lineages or genealogy like me. I'm of Irish and German and every other, <laughs> every other, <laughs> every other pale <laughs> genealogy you could come up with, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. But those of us that have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we belong to the people group of the church. Of the, of the new age, of the new covenant church. So when the Bible refers to the church or the body of Christ, he's talking to us specifically. Now, of the Jews and the Israel, of the Jewish slash Israel group, uh, there can be people that belong to the church. We call these the Messianic Jews or the Jews that believe in Jesus. Okay. Of the heathen group or the Gentile group, you can have people that believe in Jesus. Uh, that's where most of us came out of, and uh, those also become part of the church. Okay? So those are the three people groups, and you need to understand this to understand Revelation. Now, how did the Israelites or the Jews come to be? Uh, 
bring up, so these are our three groups. She's got it. So you've got the Jews or the Israelites. They're in covenant with God. The Gentiles slash heathens, they're outside of the covenant. And then the church is the body of Christ. So, that's, so she got that perfect. Good job, because I didn't give that one to her. She had to do that one on the slide. Now, how did we get the Jews, i.e. the Israelites? Well, that's very simple. Now, mess with you. There was a man by the name of Abram. And Abram was outside of a covenant with God. Now, he started off, back me back up to that prior slide. The one before that, or the first one. Abram actually started out as a Gentile heathen. That's where he started out. But he put his faith in God, and, and God said, Abram, if you'll follow me, I'll take care of you. And they entered into a covenant, and Abraham became, and God recalled Abram, Abraham. So that's where we get the next slide. So that's where Abram, nope, the other one, <laughs> this one. So Abram, when he enters covenant with God, he, God changes his name to Abraham. Abraham later has a son whom he names Isaac. This is the son born to Abraham and Sarah. Now, prior to that, Abraham has, Abraham has a son with Hagar, uh, his handmaiden. Which, and their son was called Ishmael. We're not getting into all of Ishmael and what all of that means for the teaching on revelations. Okay? That, that, Ishmael is where all of the rest of us come from. <laughs> this is a good way to say it. Okay, so Abraham enters covenant with God and he begots or has or births, so to speak, it was his wife, has Isaac, has the son Isaac. Okay? Now, if you remember, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And Abraham went up, took Isaac up to the altar, who Isaac at the time was a grown man. And remember, Isaac got up there and said, um, Dad, uh, I, see, I see the wood, and I see the stuff for starting the fire, and I see the, the sacrifice table. Uh, but where is the sacrifice? He was figuring it out. Oh, wait, I am the sacrifice. Okay? So Isaac was, so the relationship between Abraham and Isaac is a type and shadow of the relationship between the Father God and our Lord Jesus. Okay? So later in Isaac's life, Isaac then also has a covenant with God that's added on to the covenant that Abraham has. Okay? And then at some point in time later, because we can't go through all of the Old Testament, at some point later, nope, take me back there, there we go. At some point later, I don't know where we got small, but that's okay. <laughs> Isaac, Isaac uh, has a son by the name of Jacob. Okay? Now, Jacob has 12 sons. Uh, and Jacob, later in Jacob's life, God, Jacob and God kind of get into it. And, and Jacob gets into a fight with the angel, which is actually the Lord Jesus. 
And, and, and he says, no. He said, Lord Jesus, he said, I'm not letting you go until I get my portion or my share. Is essentially what he said. And based on Jacob's faith in the Father God, God said, Jacob, I'm going to use you and I'm going to make covenant with you. And he blessed Jacob with 12 sons. Okay? So Jacob has 12 sons. And his sons are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, uh, Nephali, Gad. Gad is actually a separate one. Esher, Ishkar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin. Okay? These are his 12 sons. He also had daughters, but... The 12 sons were the ones that mattered, okay? The 12 sons. Just know that Gad is supposed to have his own line. It's fine. So these 12 sons create what's called the 12 tribes of Israel. Because is Jacob's name is, remember Jake, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, Okay? So Israel has these 12 sons, and all, of, and all of these sons also have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and on down through the line, okay? So down through the lines, uh, through the centuries, the Israelites, the ancestors of, I, the, the ancestors of Israel, also known as Jacob, go through a lot of drama. But they're supposed to be following God the entire time. Okay? Now, when did, Israel, when did the 12 tribes come into existence? The 12 tribes came in. They, they, God formed them into the 12 tribes um, actually in Egypt. Believe it or not. There was a fan. Remember, um, see down here at the end of the list, there's this person called Joseph. Joseph was the son that was sold into slavery. And then he and he was sold into the uh, into the Egyptian's house. And uh he later became uh very highly favored in Pharaoh's court and then there was a famine and then the brothers came to Egypt to uh get food and supplies for all their family. And there's a whole lot that takes place here over the time. So eventually what happens is Joseph gets his brother to go back and get his dad Jacob and the rest of the family, all 11 brothers, and because uh, Joseph's the 12th, he, gets, he, he says, go back, get dad, go back and get your father and all of your family and come back to Egypt. So they all come back to Egypt, and then Joseph reveals who he is. And it's during this time that God establishes them as the nation of Israel. This is when they are established. So some time goes on, and their servants in Israel and Pharaoh, I mean in Egypt, and Pharaoh just loves them. They have a lot of favor. There's a lot of things going on. But then Pharaoh dies. And through the, and, and when Pharaoh dies, uh, then the, his predecessor, his son, gets a little concerned because the Jews are multiplying so much. And he and what he ends up doing is he ends up taking the Israelites into captivity. Okay? And they go into slavery for 400 years. 
And so we know how they all leave and what have you. And we know the Israelites, after they leave Egypt, um, go and, and uh, circle in the desert for 40 years. And one of the things that makes them circle in the desert for 40 years is they're stiff-necked. They're hard-headed. They complain. Even though they see God, at, I mean, they see God supernaturally providing for them, supernaturally taking care of them, supernaturally doing everything for them, they still complain and say, this man Moses brought us out here to die. This God brought us out here just to kill us. You want to get all the story, go back and read uh, Genesis and Exodus. We can't do all of that in one night. I'm just giving you a synopsis of the mindset of the Israelites. Okay? So these Israelites are very hard-headed. And as you go through the, New Te- as you go through the Old Testament, it happens repeatedly. Repeatedly. God takes them out of bondage and out of slavery. He sets them up. He blesses them. He's got life going good for them. They're well taken care of. The nations of the land are afraid of them. They're conquering. They're doing fantastic. The Israelites have kids. They, the kids are raised in the blessing. The kids don't get it. The grandkids come along. The grandkids don't get it. And so now the kids and the grandkids are over there serving pagan gods. And before you know it, bam, they're back into bondage again. And this just keeps happening. 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 So by the time Jesus comes, Of the 12 tribes, there's only two tribes that are still following God. There's only two tribes that are still following God. And that is the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? Now, it's God's plan from the beginning that all of the descendants of Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that all of the Israelite descendants make heaven that's god's plan from the beginning but they've all left god but these two tribes and even those two tribes are split and splintered even those two tribes are divided so the whole point yes ma'am it goes it it, that's by time by the time jesus comes and it goes, you see all of this through First and Second Kings and all of this. It all happens uh, progressively. It's a little here and a little there. Two tribes go off, two tribes go off. Eventually it becomes the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And it gets very complicated. It happens over hundreds of years. Um, <clears throat> and it's kind of hard to follow if you kind of don't know the history of it. But here's the deal. These tribes, as far as when they split off and what they do, don't really have much to do with us, the Gentiles. Because we have a different covenant with God. The same covenant, but different covenant. So let me explain that. Okay. So these 12 tribes are supposed to all be walking with God. Okay. But they're not. They keep being pulled off into idol worship. They keep going off into worshiping these false demon gods. So God said, Israel, talking about the nation, 
Israel, if you're not going to follow me, if you're going to be hard, if you're going to be stiff-necked, I'm going to cut you off, and I'm going to engraft a people that will follow me. That's where the Christians of today come in. The Christians of today are taking our, we don't take the place of the Jews. What God is trying to do is he's trying to get the Jews to go, wait a minute, you don't get it, we're supposed to get it. He's trying to get the Jewish people to come into fellowship with him. But they're hard-headed and they're stiff-necked. So we get to come in to the tribe by adoption through Jesus Christ. So by adoption, the church of Jesus, the body of Christ, by adoption becomes Jew. Are you following me? You guys all got this. By adoption, we become Jew. Well, I don't know if that's true. Go to, let's go look at this real quick. I promise we're talking about revelations, but you have to understand this in order to understand the book of Revelations. This is why Revelation is at the end of the book. (laughs) If you don't understand this basic principle, you're not going to understand the rest of the book of Revelation. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse, starting in verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So Jesus chose, Jesus knew, the Father God knew, that there would, be a, there would be a group of people that he would establish a covenant with. He knew that this group of people that he established his covenant with would ultimately reject him. And he would have to bring in a people that would receive him willingly. And so all of this was planned beforehand. Now look at verse 5. He said, having predestined us, Onto the adoption of the children. Okay? The only thing that you are predestined for, the only thing that's 100% out there guaranteed, is God made a plan and a provision for every person on the planet that chose to receive Jesus Christ would be able to be adopted into the family of God. Every person that willingly receives Jesus is welcomely adopted into the family of God. We could say it this way. You are welcomed and adopted into the Israelite nation. Now, if you go back under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the only way to, if you were not born of one of those 12 tribes, excuse me, the only way to come in to the Jewish nation was to be adopted by one of those houses through servanthood, okay? So he took that natural principle of the old covenant and he made it available to us supernaturally under the new covenant. So how do we come in, how do we become part of the 
Israelite nation were adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ. Were grafted in by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. So we're adopted in. Now. I want you to go to, it wasn't going here, but I want to go here because I just felt, I just heard the Spirit kind of prompt me. Go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Galatians two sixteen. He said, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. Have you been, have you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Therefore, you have been justified by him. Being justified by faith of Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So I want you to understand that the, how we come into this family is by the receiving of Jesus Christ. That's how we come in. Now, we can, all right, I think that's as far as I want to go right there. Yeah, that's as far as I want to go right here, because I don't want to get deep with because I want to get back into Revelations. All right, so we, so we receive Jesus Christ. That's how we come in. Okay, but even though we're in the nation, God still has to deal with the Jewish people. Most people that are Jewish lineage today will not make the rapture of the church. Most Jews, most Israelite descendants do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Most think that their Messiah has not yet come. So the, so the seven years of tribulation is not for the benefit of the heathen or the Gentile world. The, the point of the last seven years of tribulation what we call the Great Tribulation is a last-stitch effort by the Father God to turn his stiff-necked Jew, Jews back to him. That's what these seven years are for. These seven years are not so much about getting the Gentile world into the body of Christ, as mu although that will happen as much as it is about getting the Jews, the Israelites, to receive Jesus as the Messiah. So much of what happens in the book of Revelation pertains specifically to the Jews. So much of what happens in the book of Revelation, much of what happens in these last seven years, is going to be more about being a sign and a wonder and a and a bringing of truth to the Jews more than the Gentiles. Because the Gentile, as Gentiles, 
we don't have as much baggage as the Jews from a spiritual standpoint. Okay? We weren't there. Uh, we were not God's chosen people. So, on that note, I want you to go to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. I thought we were talking about revelations. You have to understand this to understand revelations. This is why God puts revelation at the end of the book, because if you don't understand what's earlier in the book, you're not going to understand revelation. This is why it's so detrimental for new believers to jump right into the book of Revelation because they don't understand. They don't even understand the, how the, what the Jews are. If you don't understand what the Jews are, you're not, there's a lot of the Bible that you're not going to understand. So you have to understand the Jews. So I want you to go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Okay. At this point, the Israel nations are somewhat divided. They're, they're somewhat divided, uh, but a lot of them have been taken captive by uh, have been brought into ne- brought into captivity by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So Babylon. So we're talking about the time of Babylon. Exactly right. So uh, they're in captivity under the Chaldeans under uh, Neb- <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar, and then after Nebuchadnezzar uh, dies, his son Belshazzar takes over as king, and then uh, Belshazzar makes some mistakes and ends up getting killed because he's worshiping the idol gods and what have you. You read all this in Daniel. And then after Belshazzar takes o- uh, is slain, Darius the king, Darius takes over. And Darius is king over two different lands, the Meadow and the Persia. So basically, these are the Medes and the Persians. And uh, the Israelites are under captivity or under slavery to them. Okay, uh, this is where we hear about um, uh, Adshak, Meshach, and Abednego. This is where Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. It's during these years under these kings. Well, while he's under the leadership of King Darius, this is a little bit before he goes into the lion's den, he ha- he's, he's had a couple of visions from God. And these visions have, dist- have caused him to be distressed. And so in chapter 9, he begins to talk to the Lord, and he's praying for his nation in Daniel chapter 9. And so he's praying. And uh, he's talking to the Lord, and he's basically pleading and interceding um, for his nation. And he's saying, Lord... <laughs> He tells them, uh, verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 4, he said, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. So he said, he said God, we know you're the commandment. You, we know you're the commandment keeper. We know you're the covenant keeper. We know that you're full of mercy. We know that you're full of grace. He's kind of buttering God up. And then he says, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. He said, God, 
we, your Israelites, have turned from you, and we've done all these things. And he continues to go on and on and on, and he's telling the Lord how messed up his people are. He's telling the Lord how sorry the Israelites are, how they're sinners, how they're worshiping pagan gods, how they're getting it all wrong, how they're in a hot mess, and he's pleading for them. How much do you know? When you go to God, you should not build yourself up. (laughs) We need to go to God and say, God, I am a hot mess. But so many people go, but God, I did this right, and I did this right, and I did this, and God's like, yeah, and do you not see all your sins? No, Daniel was being very real. He, he understood that his people needed mercy. He understood that, that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, they weren't getting anywhere. So he's praying and he's praying and he's praying. And he gets done praying finally. He finally gets done praying. And... uh he, he says, and let's jump to verse 19. He said, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. He's like, Lord, please hear us. O my God, for the city and thy people are called by thy names. So he's reminding them, Lord, uh, everybody's watching these people because they're called by your name. He's, he's reminding them, God, your reputation's kind of on the line here. That's <laughs> what he's telling them. And he said, and while I spe- while and whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God, the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel. We understand that Gabriel is an angel, but he's appeared to him in man form. He said, uh, even the man Gabriel, whom I had whom I had seen is in the vision at the beginning because he Gabriel had come and talked to him earlier being caused to fly swiftly touched me about the time of evening obligation so Gabriel came to him in the evening and he informed me and talked with me and said oh Daniel I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding the angels will bring you messages of understanding. That was what Gabriel was there for. Angels means messengers. So, he's, so Gabriel is there to bring a message. And he said, at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. In other words, as soon as Daniel started praying, God dispatched Gabriel. But it took Gabriel a little bit of time to get to him. So a lot of times we're praying and we think that God's not hearing us, but really, as soon as we start talking, he automatically, he starts putting his angels to work for us. Okay? He said, at the beginning of thy supplications, thou com- <clears throat> the commandment came forth, and I am come to show. For thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy nation to finish the transgression, to make the end of sins, to make the reconciliation of iniquity, and to bring the everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and, the atone, and, the atone, and to atone for the Most High. 
So he told, so here's what Gabriel told Daniel. He said, your people, the Israelites, are going to go through 70 weeks of pressure. 70 weeks of tribute, or I'm sorry, 70, yeah, 70 weeks of what we call tribulation. The word tribulation means to be put under pressure like a wine press, to be pressed. How much do you know when the world's going crazy, you're under pressure, right? So he said 70 weeks. Now, when he says 70 weeks, what he means, what the angel means is 70 sets of seven years. How in the world did you get that, Pastor Robbie? You know what? It took me a little bit to figure it out. Hold your place right here. Hold your place right here. Don't go there just yet. Don't, don't, don't let them get there just yet. Okay. Hold your spot right here and go back to Daniel 9, verse 2. This is where he begins to talk to the Lord. And he said, in the first year of his reign... So he's talking about you. So he's talking about the first. So this is when he said, I, Daniel, understood the books of the number of years. Notice he said years. He said, I understood the books of the numbers of years. In other words, there were books with sets of years in them. Uh, Where the word of God, where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would that he would accomplish 70 years in in desolations or pressures of Jerusalem. So remember, Jeremiah prophesied that he would have 70 years of, of pressure that the, that the Israelites would have to go through. Remember, they were in bondage for 70 years at the time of Jeremiah. So as he's talk, so he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I understand books or seasons of years. So now let's go back to Dan, go back to verse, go back to verse uh, 24. Seventy weeks. This word weeks can mean seven days or seven years. It's called a haptad, H-A-P-T-E-D, a haptad. And a haptad is a seed that, can, that has containers of it has different containers in it. So this particular haptad had 70 slots in it, and each slot carried seven years of time. Okay? Now bring me up that slide. So 70 groups of seven. So, seven, so you're going to have periods of seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years, and that's going to happen 70 times, okay? So 70 groups of seven, so 70 times seven is 490 years. There's going to be 490 years that the Israelites, the Jews, are going to have to deal with pressure, okay? They're going to have to deal with pressure. There's going to be 490 years that they have to deal with pressure, now, and the reason that they have to deal with these 490 years of pressure is because they're stiff-necked and hard-headed. That's why. 
Remember they were in remember they were in the desert for 40 years and an entire generation had to die out before they could move into the promised land? That's stiff-necked and hard-headed. If they had to if, if it took 40 years in the natural, how many years of pressure are they going to have to go through to get where they need to be in the spirit? Apparently 490. Apparently 490 because God knows his people. And what these 490 years of pressure, of tribulation, what it's going to bring, he said 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Daniel who represents the Israelites. So this is not for the entire world. This is only for the Israelites. And for thy holy city, which is Jerusalem. This is only for the holy city of God and only for the Jews. He said, and what this is going to do is this is going to finish thy, tri- thy transgressions or, thy, or, the, or their sins. They keep going in and out. They're, they're basically their rebellion. To make an end of sins. In other words, all of this has to happen in order for us to, to conquer this sin issue that's in you. To make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in the everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy. And the last thing that this is going to do is going so that the, so that, um, the most holy can anoint. That's what the purpose is. Then he tells us this. He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah. So, in Nehemiah chapter 2, we see that the order is given because during this time of Babylon, Jerusalem is completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. But we know in the book of Nehemiah that the order is given to rebuild Jerusalem. And this order is given, I believe, let me, let me see, this order is given, let me look at my notes, around uh, 444 B.C. Around 444 B.C. When you go and you read this account, it tells us that it takes about, it took 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem. So, if you go back and you multiply 7 times 7, go back at my card here, so 7 times 7 is 49. When the order was given to rebuild Jerusalem, the clock on the 490 years started. That's where the clock started. The clock went for the next 49 years while it took them the time to rebuild Jerusalem because remember they built it and then it got torn down and they had to build it again. Remember, it took some time. That's the first 49 years. That's where the clock starts. Now, so what happens next? He said, therefore, understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore to build Jerusalem and onto the Messiah, the prince. So from the time uh, from the prince shall be seven weeks. Okay, so that's how, back up, so he said it'll be seven weeks. So we know from the order that it was given to the time of the Messiah uh, was 749. 
okay, was seven weeks. Then he said, uh, or to build onto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks, and three score and two weeks. Seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So let's go back to the calendar. So we've got the seven weeks times seven is 49. That's Jerusalem being built. Then it says, so that gets added. Then it says that there's 62 weeks, which is three score is 60 plus two. So that makes 62. So 62 times seven is 434 years, 434 years. If you take the 49 and the 343, that gives you 843 years. So from the time that the order was given to rebuild Jerusalem to the time of Christ coming and entering Jerusalem was 483 years. 483 years. Now, if you sit down and do the math, your math is going to be off on the years. And I'm going to explain why. Because they went by the Hebrew calendar, which had 360 days. And we go by a solar calendar, which has 365 days. So if you do all of your math by the Hebrew calendar, it will be 340 or 483 years. From the time that Jerusalem was ordered to be rebuilt to the time that Jesus came. Okay? All right. So when Jesus, now let's keep reading because we've got to see another point here. And all through all of that history, the entire time, the Jews, the Israelites, were under pressure and under pressure and under pressure. And they were taken into captivity and taken into captivity and taken into captivity. It just goes on and on to the point that who knows who's, where, what anymore. Okay, two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. So we know that. We know the wall was built in troublous times of Jerusalem. Uh, Talked about that. And then it says, and after three score and 62 weeks, so at the end of that second time, at at the end of the 483 years, It says, shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. This clock of 483 years stopped when Jesus Christ was cut off from the Father and descended into hell. That's when this 490-year clock stopped. Okay? He says, but he wasn't cut off for himself. He was cut off, it says, and the people of the prince that shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war of desolations are determined. So he said that he's, this is why he's being cut off is for the people's sake. And he, shall come, and he shall confirm the covenant with many of one, of many for one week. For one week. In other words, what the the angel is saying is there's one week left on the clock. Go look at the calendar. Let's go look at it. Bring me back my time sheet. 
If you've got 483 years, huh? I know, I'm driving you all crazy. It's okay. Out of the Out of the 490 years, when the clock stopped at 483, that left seven years left, right? This is why the Great Tribulation will be seven years, because, because <clears throat> that is the amount of time that God is going to give his Jews the opportunity to receive the true Messiah. It's a last-stitch effort on God's part to get them to receive his son. That's what these seven years are all about. Okay? Now, he says in this, look at, what the, look at what Daniel says. He said, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. During, yes, during the seven years of tribulation, there's going to be a lot of demon activity. Yes, during the seven years of tribulation, there's going to be extreme pressure. Because the Israelites have only turned back to God under periods of time of extreme pressure. That's the only time they've ever returned. But gee, just like there's going to be a mass amount of demonic going on, God's power and God's witnesses, there will be, I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures, there will be a group left on the earth that will witness the Messiah, and it will be Jews, 144,000 of them to be exact. All right? So he said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give them one last try, and this, this last try that I'm going to give them is going to last one spiritual week, or one week, which is seven years, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the obligation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. He said, listen, he said, during those seven weeks, the sin of the world and the sin of the Israelite nation is going to be overwhelming. It's going to be overwhelming. He said, even unto, even till the consummation, and that determined shall and that which is determined shall be poured out upon the desolation the desolation means pressure the pressure okay so when you hear people talk about daniel's 70th 70 weeks this is what he's talking about when you talk of when you hear people say the last of the seventh week this is what he's talking this is what they're talking about this seven year period right before the Messiah comes uh, for his millennial reign, right before he comes at the end of the tribulation, right before Jesus' final return. See, when the church gets called out of here, Jesus is not coming to the earth. You need to understand this. When the church gets called out, we're going up to meet him. He's not coming to get us. There'll be a trumpet, there'll be a blow, and we'll go. And we go meet him. When he returns, it'll be at the end of this seven-year period. And that's when he's going to return to the earth. So a lot of people don't understand. Now, let's go to Revelations chapter 7. Y'all hang in there with me for a few minutes, right? All right, let's go to Revelations. All right. 
Remember we said, because I know that was a lot to get you there, but you have to understand who the Israelites are. You have to understand who the Jews are. You have to understand that God is not only trying to get the heathens into the body of Christ, but he's also trying to get the Jews into the body of Christ. Because here's the deal. A lot of Jews believe simply because of who great, 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 great. I don't know how many greats, but a bunch of greats. Grandpa, because of great, great grandpa, they automatically make heaven. And that is not true. Even the Jews must receive Jesus. Even the Jews must receive the Messiah. Otherwise, God is an un, uh, he's not fair. If I have to receive Messiah, they have to receive Messiah. It's the only thing that's fair. God is not a respecter of persons. So he's trying to get the Jewish people to receive the Messiah. And, well, if we get caught up in it, fantastic, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's what God wants. Okay? So he's trying to get this to happen. So... In Revelations, we learned that what this whole book is, is an unwrapping or an unveiling of Jesus Christ. This is not an unwrapping or an unveiling of the enemy. Do you understand then? Jesus is not about, uh, yes, he'll expose the enemy, but he's not about building up the enemy. He's not, a, yes, he will expose the demons that are going to deceive people, but that's not what this book is about. This book is about elevating the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This book is about teaching the Jews and the Gentiles that Jesus is the Messiah and he has total power and mastery over the enemy. And this book is to, and the purpose of this book is to tell the Jewish people and to tell the Gentile world that at the very end, right before Jesus comes, there's going to be a lot of things that's going to happen that if you are not careful, you will be deceived. This is why we, the church, need to be in church every time the doors is open. This is why we need to measure everything that is preached to the word. Even if I preach it, go back and back it up with the word. If I'm in error, come talk to me. Go back and, and present it. Make sure it lines up with the word. Make sure you have a witness in your spirit that is right. Because one thing that runs through here continually is that there is going to be very good deceivers. Deceiving and making people think that the Messiah is... is well, what they're going to try to do is they're going to try the demons, the, the servants of Satan are going to try to make themselves look like Jesus, the Messiah. And people are going to flock to them because they're all about feelings and emotions. So what this book is about is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It's the unwrapping of Jesus. So we saw um, in... Well, let's just read chapter, let's just get some reading in. We're not going to back up and review a whole lot. Chapter 6, I go back and give the sermon, go back and listen to it. We may end up reviewing it, I'm not sure. But 
I, had, I, I presented to y'all a very different take on chapter 6 than what most, theolo most theologians believe. Most theologians believe that chapter 6 takes off with the releasing of demons and devils from heaven. That's not possible. There's not devils and demons in heaven for Jesus to release. That's not possible. What I presented to you that chapter 6 was a, was, I presented it like this. I said it like this. I said, here's a book. And in my book, I've got seven chapters. And each one of them is sealed with a seal. And I open the seal and I read the story. Kind of like the Prince's Diary. If you ever watched that movie, remember the storybook opened and that said chapter one and they told you the story. And then it said chapter two and they told you the story. And it said chapter three and then they told you the story. Well, if you go back and you read these seals, it's like Jesus himself telling you the story of the church age. The story of the church age. And I don't have time to go back over it, but if you'll, if you'll go back through it and read it with that mindset, you'll see it very clearly. So, chapter 7. makes the, Chapter 7, understanding who the Jews are. Understanding that this revelation is about getting the Jews into the body of Christ makes this very easy to understand. The sixth chapter, or the sixth seal has been unsealed. At the prior chapter, it's been unsealed, where, and, I, and I showed you how it ends with the calling away of the church. The church is called away. There's earthquakes. There's floods. There's all kinds of things happening on the earth. The church has been called away, and now what is left on the earth are the Christians that did not walk righteously and the non-believers. That's what's left on the church, on earth. And the earth is in chaos because the church is no longer here holding back evil. The church is the body of Christ. So chapter 7. It says, And after these things, things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Hold your spot right here i got to give you this review. Go to 2 Corinthians, I believe it is. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Here Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, Let, He said, least I should uh, be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. Uh, Paul was given a lot of revelations because he spent a lot of time in prayer. It says, There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. There's been all kinds of crazy things about the thorn. He actually got a thorn from a shipwreck, and it, it was a wound that wouldn't heal, and all this crazy bunk junk and hogwash. Let's take the word for what the word says. He said this. He said, comma, telling us what the thorn in the flesh was, the messenger of Satan. The messenger of Satan. This word in the Greek is the word angelos. It's the same word uh, translated angel throughout most of the New Testament. 
So we do no harm in reading this this way. Uh, there was given unto me the angel of Satan to buffet me. The angel of Satan, the messenger of Satan, the servant of Satan. We can read it that way. So, in our understanding of the Bible, we understand that there's angels, which are servants of God. And we understand that there's demons, which are the servants or the messengers of Satan. But the Bible wasn't written that way. The Bible was written with the word angelos, which means spirit beings that are messengers. The only way you can know if this is an angel or a demon in our terminology is to look at the fruit. What is this being, this spiritual being, bringing? Are they bringing a message of good tidings, a message of prosperity, a message of healing, a message of hope, a message of anointing? Or are they bringing a message of destruction? Are they bringing a message that kills, that steals, that destroys? Are they bringing a buffeting in the flesh? Are they causing you, or is, it, is it some messenger that sent to just poke you nonstop, healed in Jesus' name? <laughs> is, that, or is that what the demon is sent? Is that what the messenger is sent for? Okay, so let's go back to Revelation chapter, chapter 7. So, and after these things, I saw four angels or four messengers, same word, standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Does this sound good? Have you ever had a hot day with no wind? Days and days of, hot, of, of no wind, is that comfortable? No. And he said, and I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. What does this angel have? The seal of the living God. So where do you think this angel came from? From heaven, from God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels or the four messengers to whom it was given to do what? Hurt the earth and the sea. So if these four messengers are sent to hurt, where are they from? Satan. From hell. That's where they're from. So John is caught up in the spirit, and he sees four messengers of hell coming on the four corners of the earth to cause problems on the earth. And as they're getting ready to cause four problems on the earth, an angel from heaven, a messenger from heaven, comes exercises authority over these four demons and says, you're not to hurt anything until you are not to hurt anything. He said to the four angels whom it was given to hurt the earth, saying, hurt not. He knew why they were there. He said, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till I have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead." In their foreheads. He told, he, 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 this, this angel, this mighty angel came and said, you're not to touch this earth until I, who has the seal, goes and seals the servants of God in their foreheads. Of the heavenly angels. Yes. Correct. 
Yeah, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. He's asking as if this is Jesus. Let's keep going. He said this. He said, and I heard the number of them which were sealed. Uh, sealed, and you can take out the italicized words. Um, and there were sealed 144,000 of all of the tribes of the children of Israel. I'm going to mess up the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm going to mess them up. I'm going to mess them up. Come on, get out your Bible and read it. Look at what it says, Jehovah Witness. I don't care how many doors you knock on. I don't care how many people you preach to. I don't care how many good works you do. Unless you are of the tribe of Israel, you ain't going to be the 144,000. Look at what the angel said. Or look at what John said. He said, and there was sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. If you're not part of the tribes, if your lineage doesn't come down that line, you have zero hope of being sealed. Zero hope of being sealed. Now, here's the deal. The church has done been called out of here. The church has done been called out of here. These were the Jews that rejected Jesus. But God's giving them a chance. God's giving them a chance. And he said this. He said, of the tribe of Judah, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, Sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Ishkar, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulon, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph, sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin, sealed 12,000. And, I, and this, <clears throat> after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. So, so this is happening on the earth. Remember, it's on the earth. Now, when we get down here through, well, thank you, Jesus, help me. Oh, I was reading in here, and later on, we see that the 144,000, <laughs> the 143,000, were, were, were those that the Bible specifically says these were men that had not defiled themselves with women. They were virgins. So this whole idea of everybody's having sex, there's 144,000 Jewish men that are reserving themselves for marriage even though they don't know and understand that their Messiah has come. And they're going to be here on the earth and God's going to go, oh, you didn't get hooked up with a woman? Sealed. 12,000 of every tribe. That is a small number. But there's some that are holding the line. There's at least 144,000 that are holding the line. I don't know that we can say that of the Gentiles. Jesus, you get me in so much trouble. Hi, 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 hi. 
So this is what's happening on the earth. The church is called out. The church is out of here. The earth is shaking and rumbling and railing. The demons of hell are like, this is our time. This is our opportunity. And here comes the angel of the living God. And he said, don't touch a single person. Don't touch the earth until I seal my 144,000. There's going to be 144,000 Jews that are going to know that the time of the Messiah is about to come. They're going to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And during the seven years of tribulation, they're going to be proclaiming to all of the Jews and all of the world that Jesus is the Messiah. The revelation is going to hit immediately. And they're going to start proclaiming. How much do you know? How much do you know? Go back and read Joshua. Go back and find out how many took the mountain. Took the, do you not know it was the young generation? Do you not know it was the young generation? It was Joshua and Caleb's generation that took the promised land? Do you not know that it was the young people? Now, when I say young, mind you, when Caleb, took his, when Caleb finally took his mountain, he was 80 years old. When he set his when he set his mind to he was going to take the mountain, he was forty. But in comparison to all those around him, he was a baby. Come on, woo! Come on. You need to just say, "Give me my mountain, Jesus." In any case, I'm trying to get there, Lord. And after this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and all kindreds and the people and the tongues, stood before the throne. So just a moment ago, we were on the earth. Now, he's looking at the throne, and he's looking at the multitude that is so high that no man can number it, bowing before the throne. So here, John is going in his vision. He's seeing what's happening on the earth, and he's seeing what's happening in heaven. He's seeing two different things at once. And he said, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, that stood before the throne and before the Lamb. Let me tell you something. When the church gets gets called out of here, there's a lot going. There's a lot staying, but there's also a lot going. Because the saints of old are coming up too. Okay? Glory to God. He said, and stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white, and palms in their hands. They had palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So they're giving worship to the Father God. They're giving wave offerings. They're worshiping with their voice to the Father God and to the Lamb, which is Jesus. And all the angels stood around the, stood round about the throne and the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. So you need to understand that, that when we worship, we're going to be worshiping with the angels. We're going to be worshiping with the 24 elders, which God showed us was our example in heaven. We're going to be worshiping the four beasts, uh, which a lot of people refer to as animals. And I got to thinking, because I said, these are angels. By the, I, I know by the Holy Ghost they're angels. But angels, angelos, means messengers. These were beasts that stayed at the throne all the time. So these were, these were, these were spiritual beings 
that it was their job to worship. This is why the Bible refers to them as beasts and not messengers. Because their job is to stand there and because that's what they do. They worship. They worship. They worship. They're not going out and messaging or giving messages. They're there worshiping. And they're massive. These are massive beasts that are worshiping. And, and then all of humanity that's received Jesus, all of us are going to be there in the throne room together worshiping. Man, and it ain't going to be quiet. Woo, it ain't going to be quiet. Can you imagine the number of people? Can you, can you imagine the number of people, an unnumberable number of people, an unnumberable number of angels, the beast, the 24 elders, all at the throne, all with a loud voice out of their spirits worshiping God. And guess what? You ain't going to need no earplugs because you're going to be able to tolerate it. Glory to God. It's going to be a sweet, beautiful sound. Verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Every single week, I point, I point a scripture out that says this. Every single week, I say, this is how. Well, I just don't know how to worship God. Begin to say, amen. That's the name of Jesus. Infallible truth. Begin to say, blessings, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power. If you can only say, if you can only remember one of them, just keep saying, Father, honor, honor, honor. Father, I give you blessings, blessings, blessings. Just pick one and start with it. And, build, and then over time, build, build upon it. This is how we worship, is through the words of our mouth. And he said, and, he, and they said, and power and might unto our God. So we can say these things to God and it blesses him forever and ever. Amen. And one of the, and one of the elders answered saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And hence they come. He said, he said, uh, John. Do you know who these people in white robes are? He said, John, do you know where they come from? John, John, John's kind of smart. He said, and he said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. Listen, if you don't learn one thing from my sermons, learn that when God speaks to you and asks you a question, it's better to not try to answer it. It's just better just to say, God, you know. It's just better to say, God, you know. God, you know. <laughs> it's better if you just say, you know. And, uh, and he said, um, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. Now, a lot of people believe, a lot of theologians say that this is those that came through the seven years. <clears throat> but that word great tribulation simply means heavy pressure. How much do you know we're living in the time of heavy pressure right now? And at this point, the seven years has not yet transpired. So how can, they, how can he be talking about the seven years? Because it hasn't yet transpired. He's talking about those that came through uh, life on earth, <laughs> and we survived. <laughs> he said, these are those that came through great pressure or great, or great tribulation or great pressure and have washed their, look at what he says, and have washed their robes. And made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, these were people that were under extreme pressure. They were in the pressure of the world, and yet they received Jesus, and they were washed in the blood. 
That's why we sing about being washed in the blood. Now, he said, but he, and he said, he said, therefore, they are before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple. Listen, you want the white robe. You want to get there before the great set, before the greater tribulation. You want to get there at the beginning. And how you get there is by walking upright now. Walking sin free now. There are going to be people, because this is very clear. He said, go back up a scripture. Go back up. Look at what he said. He said, uh, do you not know who these are? These are they that came out of great pressure. They were in pressure, but yet they washed their robes. In other words, they did something. In other words, you did something. In other words, Derek did something. I did something. Stacy did something. What did we do? We washed ourselves in the blood of the Lamb, and we walked in righteousness. The dirty, filthy church is not going out of here in the rapture. Let me say that again. The dirty, filthy, sinful church is not going out in the rapture. The calling away of the church. Who's going out of here, it's very clear, are those that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So this, I'm saved, and I'm just a sinner, and I can't help but sin, and I'm just going to live an old sinful life all the days of my life? Uh, you need to get in the Word and study it. You need to get in there and study it. Now, there's mercy and grace. Don't get me wrong. If somebody gets saved and Jesus comes back the next day, they'll get to go. They'll get to go. If somebody gets saved and they never step in the church and they never hear the word and they never, they never grow beyond the new birth, God will have mercy and grace. But that's not an excuse. Because the spirit of the living God is on the inside telling them, stop it. Don't do that. You need to get set free. And they need to respond. God is a righteous judge. He said, therefore, they are before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell therein. Or shall dwell among in he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. Jesus is going to dwell among us. He's going to be right there with us. They shall hunger no more. We're not going to have to put up with an unruly flesh anymore. We're not going to have to put up with wanting God and not being able to have God because we've got God. Neither are they going to thirst anymore. We're not going to hunger and thirst for God and feel like we can't find him and feel like we can't get there. And, you know, I was talking to Jackie this week and Jackie said, I just want to see God face to face. She said, that's just my heart. I just, I've reached the point where, come on, Jesus, I just want to have, I mean, I'm not going to go chasing it, but at the same time, I'm telling God, I want to see you. Where she's not going to have to deal with that anymore because she's going to be right there with him. She's going to be right there with him. He said, neither shall the sunlight on them nor the heat. How many, well, some people's like, some people are going to say, man, I like the sun. I'm a lizard. That's fine. But how much you know, even lizards get barbecued from time to time. Have you ever seen that lizard? He's all bent, burnt, and his skin's all peeling. 
Yeah, that's what he's talking about. You're not going to be under that damaging heat of the of the solar sun. Why? Because you're going to be living in the light of the holy sun who does no damage, nor any heat. So those of us that are hot-blooded, we ain't going to have to be cooking no more. Thank you, Jesus. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne. For the, for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them onto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Listen, we go out of here, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. We're not going to have to deal with the weight of this world and the pressure of this world anymore. We're not going to have to deal with that at all anymore. Just a little teaser for next week, verse 8, and it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, this is when it's about to get real for those that were left behind. This is when the greater pressure begins. So what we've seen thus far is Jesus talked to the pastors of the seven churches, which deal with most of the issues in most churches today. Then after that, Jesus, is, we, he takes us into the throne room, and the throne room is glorious. And we have Rihanna, who confirmed a lot of the things that we saw in the Word is what she saw when she visited the throne room. She, of course, she couldn't confirm the beast because she said, if I saw those, that would have been it. I would have been gone. Darn her. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. So she confirmed that what we see in the Word about what the throne room looks like is very real. We, and then we saw that there's going to be a multitude, and then we saw the the... The rolling out of the church age, Jesus came, Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus is continuing to defeat Satan through us, the believer, the church age. The church age has been dealing with Satan ever since, and he comes against us with the words of his mouth, getting us to kill each other and to kill ourselves because he can't actually harm us unless we allow him to. Then as the time progresses, we start to see wars and rumors of wars and floods and all kinds of issues and Christians being persecuted. We're right there at that time. Animals start turning on people. All kinds of stuff starts to happen. We're under what they call, what Jesus referred to as the time of great sorrows. There's a lot of pressure. The knowing that Jesus is coming is very real. Then the church gets called out. These are the six seals. The church gets called out. When the church gets called out, the 144,000 Jews get marked by the angel of the living God. And while that's happening, there's a celebration in heaven and a worship service in heaven to match to, that outdoes any worship service there's ever been. And while that, and so all of this is happening, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful. And then what's about to happen is the last. Seven years of the 490 years of desolation that the Jews have to go through. And the reason for that desolation is to hopefully get this stiff-necked, hard-headed, non-believing children of God to turn back to God and receive his son, Jesus. That's what Revelations is about. And, and, and it gets a little whoo from here. But we got that basic understanding, so, it'll, so we'll, it'll, it won't be too hard on us. Okay? Are you all good? Are you sure? 
Because everybody's going, I'm so lost. Miss Stacy, what you got for me? No. Yes. 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 They cannot be 144 that already believe because all those that do believe in Jesus will go out of here in the rapture. So this will be 144 Jew, Jewish uh, Jews following the Jewish rule that will that will suddenly at the what they'll do they'll know this they, see because the Jews the Jewish people they study the scriptures they study it they study their scholars they I mean they study it in ways we can't even imagine studying it and so they know the scriptures so what will happen when the church gets called out of here all of the sudden they'll go. Oh, this was prophecy. Oh, that was Jesus. Oh, that was the Messiah. And they'll receive him. And if you think about all the people around the world being that will be left behind, 144,000 is not many. Yeah, it's not many. It's not many at all. It, it's, I mean, out of how many 7.8 billion people that are currently on the planet, we don't know how many are getting called out. But it won't be many. But it'll, it, it'll uh, 144,000 is... Peanuts. Peanuts. I'll have to double check it, possibly. Yes. By faith. By faith, we come into the, we come into the tribe, of the, into the family of Israel. Yes. Yes, yeah, because remember the, the scriptures talk about us being engrafted into the body of Christ or engrafted into the family of God. And if you think, if you know horticultural at all, um, say this is a tree, there'll be a perfect slice on this tree. And then when you're cut from the tree that you're in, there's a perfect matching slice. And they, and they match up the two slices perfectly and they band you together. And then you grow into part of this tree. So this tree is the, is the Israelite tree, God's chosen people. And so when we come in, we're grafted in and we become part of that tree. You're still, yes, you were still adopted. Don't get, you and I will talk about it because I know how long that will take me. It'll, phew, gosh. Naturally, naturally, physically, we're still Gentiles. But from a spiritual standpoint, we're Jewish. That's why you'll hear a lot of people say, um, I'm Jewish. You know, you're kind of joking, kind of taking on about being really picky about money or wanting good qualities or things like that. They'll be like, you know, my big brother's Jewish or, you know, I'm Jewish because of my big brother. They're talking about because I'm, I'm adopted by Christ, thereby I'm Jewish by that. It's kind of like, you know, we talk about these young ones must be in their spiritual parents. Like Jackie's been adopted into our family. She gets all the rights and privileges of our family. So technically, she would have that. She would be part of the family just like if a natural child would. Father, the family, so the, the, the Father God treats us the same way. The Father God treats us the same way. So are we all good? Have I lost anybody? Harshly yet. Okay. So if you've got tithes and offerings, I know a lot of us like to give on Wednesday nights. Uh, if our ushers will come. Glory to God. Right? Yeah, you just lost me. 
Yeah. Here's what I know. I know 144,000 ain't much. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, it ain't much. Father God, we do thank you. Uh, if you're giving an offering tonight, you can make it out to DHEM. Uh, you can give online um, at discipleshouse.faith and click the give link. Um, or you can uh, text. Sorry, guys, I'm trying to think and write at the same time. I meant to write this ahead of time. Anyways, um, if you're not going to give, that's totally fine. It's up to you. You keep it between you and God. But if you're giving or you're believing for seed to give, then just do it by faith. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. Father, I know that this is a lot to take in, but we have to get the understanding of who the Jews are and who, uh, the, who the Jews the slash Israelites are in order for us to understand the book of Revelations or the book of Revelation. So, Father, I thank you that you're bringing us into light. You're bringing us into understanding. And, Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your love, and we thank you that we can clearly see why it's a seven-year period. And, Father, we give you all the glory and the honor as our people go forth this week. We just ask that you uh, speak to them, show them, and reveal to them the path that you have for them. Angels, go out, prepare the way before them, cause blessings and favor to come everywhere they go. Satan, keep your nasty hands off of their increase and off of their supply in Jesus' mighty name. And, Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you the, for your provision in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I thank you for that increase in Jesus' mighty name. For every believer, you can serve the people. Oh, glory to God. Should 